Hello, welcome to Association Rockstars, where we hear about the journey and insights of amazing association executives and partners who are building the association industry of tomorrow. I'm your host, Lowell Applebaum. I'm the CEO of Vistacova. We were partner with organizations on vision, strategy, and facilitation. And it's my absolute pleasure to have with me today, Kathy Brown, CAE, FASAE. She's the vice president for West Coast of Vetted Solutions and has more than 38 years of experience in the nonprofit sector, having served as executive director for philanthropic organizations and professional associations. She's the immediate past chair of the ASAE Fellows and with robust involvement in ASAE throughout her career, she's been a big proponent of both association and nonprofit executives. Kathy, we're just delighted to have you with us today. I'm thrilled to be here, Lowell. Thank you for having me. Thank you. The California sunshine streaming in from behind yeah. you is like a ray of light to all of we us. We love it. We love it. So on Rockstars, we like to begin with a very similar question. Uh, you're here clearly because uh, your career, your journey, you demonstrated some amazing accomplishments, but also strengths. Uh, and so the way we frame those strengths, those skill sets of mastery are as superpowers. And so if you were to pick just one of those, what is one of the superpowers that you have? Well, Lo, I will tell you, being an association executive and industry partner on the West Coast and a princess of La La Land, I believe that one of my superpowers is absolutely being able to conduct meetings at 6 a.m. Mm, that's a good you know, one. When you, when you join this industry and you move to the West Coast, you understand that this industry pretty much runs on East Coast time. So while there are wonderful attributes to living in the West Coast, and I'm here to stay, yeah, it's still, um, that's my superpower I have developed. You know, having uh, clearly functioning on East Coast time, but living on the West Coast for not a short amount of time at this point, as you look at the association landscape and its leadership, do you see any differentiation between geographic locales throughout the country, or is it really the same no matter where you are? You know, I do. I think many of the competencies and the strategic thinking and leadership innovation are the same. But what's very different, I'm going to call the human factor. And I think that relates to how we particularly in California, but certainly west of the Mississippi, uh, look to achieve certainly balance in our life, how our employees really care about the human factor. Um, how we frankly compete with big tech in terms of uh, the atmosphere and the culture that we build in our organizations. And um, so I really see that differently than I do say when I visit Washington DC or Chicago and you know we see the more formal atmospheres because people are going up to Capitol Hill or yeah. uh, having uh, various meetings in those big cities. So it is different. It's, it's a lot different. We have our own challenges here in California, of course, with some of our laws, but, um, but I would say that's the major difference. From a leadership perspective, I mean, you just referenced, of course, you know, the way that culture is built within the association. Uh, what have you seen shift at all in the past few years, if, if you want, at least in the past 18 months, in terms of how leaders are going about building these cultures that include a human factor, you know, living in isolation, living from home, it's such a, di a different landscape than perhaps yeah. it was before. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're only beginning to see 
And we might actually have a step back here with the new Delta variant, but we're only beginning to see the toll that uh, what we've been through the last 18 months is taking on individuals. And um, also I think of you in particular as a parent who yes. uh, you know, have had to worry about children and education and just the stress and strain that we've had. And I think that people need to reflect I think they need to verbalize. I think they need to have safe space, no matter whether it's at their business or workplace or at home yeah. or with their friends. And I think they want to know that their colleagues and frankly, their, um, the executives that they work with care about them from a, a 365 degree perspective. And you know, the line of business and personal is no longer there. Yeah. It seems, you know, as you see the background of like where you live and not just the office and the, the, the place you create in a professional setting, that that line is definitely integrated much more so. Uh, successful leaders that you're seeing that are doing a good job and leading in that environment where they think holistically, right, about not just the work to be done, but about the people they're in charge of to do it. What are some characteristics you're seeing of those that are doing it really well? What are, what are they demonstrating? What are they prioritizing? Sure. Well, as you know, I was in DC about a month ago and I, I had the wonderful opportunity to meet with you and so many other association execs while I was there. And, you know, I noticed the extreme flexibility everybody is having in trying to understand where their staffs are right now. Yeah but also realizing the realization that they're not going to be able to get the same culture or a culture near to the culture they had before, unless they can somehow pull their teams together. So looking at a lot of folks are looking at coming back into their offices after Labor Day. Well, is that now going to be possible? Yeah. So in checking in with a few just in the last 48 hours, you know, everybody's watching the CDC guidelines. Everybody's trying to do the best they can to ensure that their teams are culturally sound, but um, realizing that it may be delayed even further, which is tough, really yeah. tough. The, uh, the emotional element of that is, uh, is real, right? Because without that stability we're in flux back and forth right in, in your own journey your own path i know that you've had a variety of different leadership roles executive roles uh, if we went all the way back uh, to where you sort of first entered into the nonprofit philanthropic association space what was your first step in the journey where did you where did you find the opportunity well you know i'm a nurse by education and so I was literally plucked out of the operating room of a children's hospital to be um, the board chair of a national nursing association. And once I uh, looked at uh, some of the wonderful women that were leading the Association of Operating Room Nurses back in those days, and we're yeah. talking years ago, um, I just got so inspired about what uh, associations could do. And I was lucky enough to then be recruited by a multiple management firm that managed nursing associations. And that was the beginning of my journey. So as you went into that journey, it's clear that you have a high level of insight when it comes to the emotional intelligence radar needed in leadership. Is that something that's always been there for you? Is that something that you developed along the way? 
you know, the interesting thing for me is that you develop that as a nurse and you develop it perhaps too much as a nurse. Uh, and so um, I'll never forget my boss at the time when in my first association job said, you can't treat every meeting like an operating room. You know, <laughs> you yeah. have to understand that, you know, there's this there's this tension between getting business done and caring for individuals. And so, um, you know, through the years, I've honed that a bit. I will tell you, Lowell, that early in my career, I maybe went too hard at the business approach. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in moving to California, you really do adapt pretty quickly to the spirit out here. Uh, and, you know, when I moved to California, I moved to work for an association but quickly switched over to philanthropy. And then once you're in philanthropy, um, you're really kind of all about, uh, you know, the individual and, and the caring side of the, of um, the caring and social good you can yeah. do. Do you feel like there's any larger life lessons, business lessons from the philanthropic side, right? From that you learned in your leadership there that those on the professional support trade association side should really try to learn and incorporate into how they run their organizations. Yeah. Well, one thing is, uh, you know, there's an assumption out there that it's not necessarily that easy to jump from the association side to the philanthropy, philanthropy side. But I will tell you, I disagree with that because I think it's a matter of models and frameworks and mm -hmm. that, they that you can quickly adapt one to the other. That said, the emotionalism in dealing with the various communities you deal with in philanthropy, yeah. you know, that, that can be at an all-time high, depending on uh, what's going on in the world. For example, I've done a lot of consulting and work in the HIV AIDS space. Well, that space right now is, is the community is very heated over some recent press with a particular musician and celebrity. And, you know, the emotionalism just can climb so quickly, so so high so quickly that you have to help your volunteers in your community understand that yes, there's a place for emotionalism, but let's see past that and see what we can do to further our cause. Yeah. You know, as you think about the role that you've played in both the philanthropy side, the association side, and, and the one that you see and the leaders that you discovered yeah. today, uh, I'd be interested in your perspective on what does it look like when an executive is doing the right size job of championing their organization of being the voice for that mission to helping elevate it? When they're doing that well, how do you, what does it look like when a leader is doing that well? You know, I think it looks uh, like um, in today's world, which is yeah. different. I would have answered this different 18 months ago, probably. Well, I'd love to hear what it would have been 18 months ago. Yeah. Today's world. Oh, okay. Well, 18 months ago, I think you would have said the typical thing that it's, you know, an innovator, or an entrepreneur, somebody that can work with the board and either be, you know, the front and center role yeah. or, you know, work with a chair of a board and mentor them in that role. Now I think it's a bit different. Now I think it is all about um, working really hard to not only show this caring element, but to figure out how you use that caring element. Everyone uses that caring element, element to their advantage to move their organization forward. Yeah. And that on top of being transformational and frankly being flexible right now, so many organizations are changing 
as frankly, so many leaders are beginning to, you know, think about their next steps as well. And uh, it's really important that we keep our eye on how things are going to continue to continue to change for a while. You know, the transfer, the three elements you said there, the transformational, the <clears throat> flexibility, as well as the emotional caring elements. Uh, as you think about those, I mean, clearly you developed them from the operating room uh, in your own leadership on your journey. Did you take any specific steps in terms of like professional development and learning? Like, how do you get better at that, right? Like, how do you learn about that? Are there things you did to learn about that? Or do you think it's just holistic and just experience that helps you get better at those things? Yeah, a couple of things. I've had wonderful mentors in life and wonderful mentors in my profession. And um, I got involved in ASAE when I was very young in, in uh, you know, in the, um, in the space, in the space. And, you know, I've watched and learned from so many of the particular women leaders in ASAE through the years. Um, <clears throat> I think for we women, uh, a, lot, a lot of it is paying it forward. And thinking about how can we, um, you know, help uh, younger um, leaders moving up? How can we work to ensure equity? How can we um, really support them in their own personal journeys? And um, kind of be for them, uh, be there for them, no matter what they're experiencing in their life. And, you know, I think the beauty of it for everyone, not just women, is that we all get to have those role models and those mentors, more than one, in right. every aspect of our life. And I think that's critically important. You know, the topic of mentorship often comes up in the conversations. One of the things that I'm interested in is that it seems like such an essential element in the successful leader journey, right? To have those that both you learn from as well as those that can learn from you. But it seems the model of mentorship that was perhaps once traditionally defined is shifting. And I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm interested in your perspective as you think, what does mentorship, quote unquote mentorship, right? Look like in this day and age, uh, whether, whether it is the empowerment of women, uh, which is clearly a, a great place to dedicate mentorship resources to, uh, or across the diversity landscape, right? To be a place that elevates, that amplifies voices and potential that you see in others. Yeah. Do, you, do you have any thoughts of like what what does mentorship look like today? I you know I think it looks like being whatever the mentee needs, mm -hmm. and if you can't be that, then helping the mentee find you know what it is that they need. And I do think it's across the board. I don't think, for example, I have some very close relationships with some of our younger ASAE fellows. Yeah, um, and you know have had just great kind of mentoring um, conversations with them that have been really, really terrific. Um, so I, I do think that I also use a term Lowell called reverse mentoring. Mm -hmm. And there are younger people in my life, um, you know, whether they be family like my nephew or whether they be coworkers that, uh, you know, mentor me. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the e an easy, obvious one is some of the newer technologies. Sure. But, um, you know, gosh, um, I, you know, my nephew is a good mentor for um, positivity yeah. uh, with me. 
Um, and, you know, I have others, especially in various communities that educate me about what younger people in the community are feeling and going through. And what younger people in the community are feeling and going through is different than what I'm going through. Very different. Yeah. I think that the, uh, the idea of reverse mentoring from learning from both sides, I, I love that idea. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, th I personally think that the last 18 months has been much harder on younger staff people than, frankly, it's been on me. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Well, the, your earlier comment about the journey of a parent. Uh, yeah. I was having a conversation with an executive earlier today that they were talking about that originally their office was going to open in September. And they're debating now, like, should we just push to October? And there's someone else that was in the, on the senior team that was saying, Right, like if we could just for a moment take a parent's perspective of an academic calendar, right? It's much easier if you just push till December so you can get through a, a semester, right? And make transition right. at those times. But it's a whole, it's a very different perspective, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, I feel there would be something missing since you uh, brought up mentorship within the context of fellows and as a, as a past chair to not at least ask one question about your your own journey. I mean, there's a number of those that listen in here that I think have aspirations of becoming a fellow someday. And just wanna sort of leave the door open for a moment for you to share either what's been a meaningful moment as a fellow or why it's been important or uh, mm -hmm. what, you, what you've seen that others that are thinking about someday uh, that you think is part of a leadership journey. Why, why is it something mm -hmm. that should be part of it? Yeah. Uh, gosh, I've been a fellow now since 2006, so a bit of a while, and um, I think the important thing about um, becoming a fellow is not only, it is self-affirming. There's no question that it is self-affirming, and there's a lot of pride in becoming a fellow, but for me, it created a sense of responsibility yeah. for making sure that those that come after me are good stewards of our of our profession and of our professional association ASAE. Yeah. And so my call to duty continues. Now I happen to make the choice that um, to seek being fellows chair later on in my career as kind of a capstone, you know, uh, later on in my career. Um, and I think that that was a wise choice for me because through the years I've I've been able to. Uh, hone in a little bit on on uh, my leadership skills and you know I had to take uh, the fellows through COVID-19 in 2020 yeah. so um, uh, that was uh, really um, a very rewarding experience uh, but you know I think the important thing for fellows to always remember is we were selected because we you know I uh, have done some things in our professional career and in our association, but we can't we can't give up after we've become a fellow. We have to continue right. to pay that forward and ensure the ones that come after us are good stewards of the association profession and ASAE. Well, the uh, as certainly something throughout the career that you've continued to demonstrate is your your stewardship and your contribution to the field mm -hmm. uh, as we as we already this so fast get close to oh, time oh gosh uh, you've talked about there the idea uh, the idea of legacy of what you leave behind uh, and so i i guess i would ask that uh, not that you're 
any anywhere close to exiting you have many much more to learn from you and much more to see you accomplish but whenever that day comes what do you hope your legacy will be uh, within the association realm i hope that people will um remember the help and the caring that I gave to them and demonstrated. I hope in certainly in my personal relationships in life that people will remember that, um, remember the caring, but also remember that um, some of the work that I did um, created an awful lot of good in the yeah. world. Um, and that's particularly some of my philanthropic leadership. Um, you know, I, um, I, I certainly feel like that um, I've contributed to uh, some of the fields that I've been in, in the philanthropic world, but I hope others see it that way too. I do. I have no, no doubt they do. Uh, and, you know, the, the caring as a theme throughout, I'm guessing you if it's at 6 a.m. Eastern, uh, 6 a.m. Pacific with the having to get up early that the caring seems to be a theme that runs throughout it all. And so, yeah, yes, indeed. <laughs> Especially for those search committee calls with vetted solutions. <laughs> well, the uh, clearly well, well known and uh, well respected in our field. And we appreciate all the help you're giving organizations and finding their right next executive as well. Thank you, Lil. Kathy, it's been such a, a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you for being with us. Oh, it's been great fun, and I've enjoyed being with you from the West Coast. And uh, as always, thank you to Amy Hager. It's been chatting with you there in the, uh, the side on the chat uh, or a, even after the live session. And thanks to everyone who continues to watch and tune in, uh, learning alongside me and alongside each other uh, from these amazing rock stars that are leading and shaping our field. Hopefully, uh, you found some great insights. We'd love to hear about them. We'd love to hear who else you'd like to hear on here. And until then, association rock on.